0: In the Marine Corps. So from the outside looking in, I guess in a way I can, I can feel what it takes to, to serve and understand and we appreciate you. So thank you. Uh, our scripture today comes from Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 9. So follow along with me as I read. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Father, we thank you for your word, that it's alive, that it teaches us, that it calls us to remember your grace, your mercy, and just how great you are, that you're the creator of all. And Lord, I pray that as we do our study here in Deuteronomy, that we take pause to remember all that you've done for us, and that we would listen to you and that we would obey you. So I pray that as your word is proclaimed here. At old Powhatan, and to throughout the ends of the earth that it will fall on ears that will hear and hearts that will be changed, that you will be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks,
1: John. I think you can bring me down maybe just a, a hair, because <laughs> I'm going to yell at some point, so I don't want to um, go Now, when we think of love and we do think of veterans, we We think of, I I typically think of greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so uh, I am thankful we want to, as a church, thank you for your service and your willingness. Though, of course, if you're here today, you did not lay down your life. You laid down uh, all all that was your own in order to give it uh, for us and uh, willingly do that. We thank you for that. Um, The passage today as we're working our way through Deuteronomy, we're spending a few weeks here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 looking at what is central to really the entire message of Christianity, the entire message of what it is to be the people of God. If you were to boil down in some ways what it looks like to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, it would look like this, forsaking all of the passions of the flesh, all the things that could have your heart, and giving your whole heart to loving God. And in fact, it's the very thing that marks us out as the people of God is that we do love God. The rest of the world doesn't. And that's the message today. That's what we want to look at today. I love the way the passage starts. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's a personal God. He's our God. He's the God who said, I will be your God and you will be my people. He's the God who has spoken in covenant with his people and has made them into a new nation. But then it says the Lord, this this Lord, this covenant God, this Yahweh God is one, which is interesting because the people are on the cusp of going into the promised land. And in the promised land, there's a group of people, the Canaanites, who actually have a God named Baal. And the word Baal actually could be applied to several different gods, if not hundreds. And so Baal could be any number of gods, but our God, the one true God, is one. He is undivided in his purpose. He's unrivaled in his power. He is not a God among other gods. He is the one true God, and he is the only one who is self-existent. He wasn't made by human hands. He does not live in human homes. He does not live in temples that we make. He is the God who is one. And today, if we were to mark out who we are to be as the people of God, we are to be one. In fact, this is Jesus's prayer that they would be one as I and the father are one. This is a prayer that Jesus has for his people is that we would be undivided in our purpose, that we would be unrivaled, that we would be undivided in our love for him, that we would have one mind and one heart. And so as we read this passage and it says, and we're just going to focus here on verses four and five really today. In verse five, it says, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, there have been some who have tried to take that and said The threefold makeup of humanity right there. You can see in every human being there's a heart, there's a soul, and there's might. There's the flesh. And and all kinds of theologies and thought processes have come to bear on that. And people have tried to set up entire doctrines of man on that. I don't think that's what God is saying here. And my proof is in Jesus later on. Jesus will be asked, hey, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. So, mind and strength. So, he actually adds mind to the list. So, are the Old Testament people just three makeup and the New Testament people four makeup, right? Is <laughs> Jesus wrong? I don't think we want to hang out there, right? So you get what I'm saying? This isn't uh, this isn't how we define humanity. The purpose is really, really clear and simple. So it wasn't one of those things where the people were supposed to read this or hear this and they go, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Hold on, everybody. Let's stop for just a moment and let's think about how to love the Lord with all my heart. How would I do that? Now, let's take a few moments and think about how to love the Lord with all your soul. Now, let's take a few moments and think about how to love the Lord your God with all your might. Hmm. I don't think that he said it all in one sentence. So it wasn't one of those things where everybody's supposed to pause every 10 seconds to think about this. It's a simple message. Everything that you are is meant to love the Lord your God with your whole life. It's a call to a whole life loyal love to the Lord that. There is no division. It's an undivided loyal love. There is no rival to God. It's an unrivaled loyal love. You don't look for other lovers. The way Moses will put it in the passages, you don't look to the right or to the left. You don't run after other gods. So what I want to do today is I want to take this verse. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might and help you see how it's actually the command that the rest of the Bible is really hinging on. That, that everything about the life of God's people is hinging on whether we love the Lord our God with our everything, whether we are loyal in our whole life love for him. It, the, the whole New Testament is going to hinge on this. In fact, the whole church hinges on this truth. Are we undivided? Are we unrivaled in our love for him? And so I want to do this a little differently today. I want you to, and this is the handy thing about print Bibles. Okay. They come with these ribbons, some of them. So you can actually put one in Deuteronomy chapter six, and then you can flip over to first John. And So I want you to flip over to 1 John with me today also, and I want you to see in 1 John chapter 2 what the word of the Lord tells us today. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, because here in 1 John, John's making the same point, but he's doing it from the negative. He's doing it from the opposite end, okay? So while Moses is telling, by, God is telling Moses and the people, love the Lord your God, He's telling us in 1 John what it looks like to not love the Lord, how it can be a danger to us. In fact, the whole idea of 1 John is you've really easily slipped into not loving the Lord your God, which means you're going to fall into idolatry. The whole letter of 1 John ends with this Little children, little children, do not. Little children, beware. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's how the whole letter ends, because he he knows that our our worship and our hearts and our love is so easily going to go to false gods and to idols. So I want us to look at the true importance of whole life, loyal love for God by looking at the warning signs of a heart that is divided by looking at what can easily divide our love to to see what John's warning is for those who would have a wedge driven in their heart and try to compartmentalize God in their lives. And have the love of the world and the love of God try to coexist. We need to see the things that would divide our love. So that's where I want to spend our time today. To help us understand the centrality and the importance of loving God with our whole life. This undivided, unrivaled, loyal, whole life love for God. But also to see the real dangers. The real dangers and the promises associated with love. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father, but is from the world and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here, John is making some pretty bold statements. Things like if anyone loves the world, the love of God is nowhere to be found. He doesn't mix words. And by doing so, he's making the point of how important this issue of love for God is. If Jesus said that loving the Lord is the first and greatest commandment, that in loving the Lord, what he's saying is all of the commandments are wrapped up in this. So you remember the scene Jesus has asked because he's trying to trap him. What's the first and greatest commandment that Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. And then he he says, and the second is as the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And even the teachers of the law were like, you've spoken correctly. And he says, all of the law is contained in love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So if you want to divide it out, which I don't know if that's wise or not, we're going to do it today. Um, If you take the first four commandments, they really have everything to do with loving God, right? So if you're going to love the Lord your God with all your being, then... By doing so, you're going to keep, you should have no other gods before me. You're going to keep, do not make any graven images and worship idols. You're going to keep, do not use the name of the Lord, your God in vain. You're going to keep, remember it's the Sabbath day and keep it holy because you love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your being, those are going to be kept. And the second is the same, Right. Love your neighbor as yourself, so you're not going to bear false witness. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to murder. You're not going to steal. You guys get the point that this is the way it works. So to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength means that you are going to keep the whole law. And if that's the point, and we've been told, if you love me, keep my commandments, then you see how central this would be. To being the people of God. So what, what John is doing here is he's putting it right there in front of us. He's asking this question. He's almost like he's expounding on Deuteronomy 6 throughout the whole letter. And he's saying this. He's posing this question for us. What is the ruling principle in your life? What drives you from the deepest part of your being, from the deepest part of your heart? What is the driving force in your life? Is it the things of God? Or is it the things of the world? John is laying out for us the distinctions between the things of God and the things of the world. And he's saying that whatever you desire and love will become the ruling principle of your life. It will determine your loyalties. It it will determine your actions. It will determine your behavior. And ultimately, according to the passage we read today, it will determine your eternal destiny. Look first at the opposites of love for God, the things that divide and steal our hearts away from loving God. The the first two, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes. And and I like I like the translation that says the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. Okay, because I think it's it's really good to put it like juxtaposed beside love. The, The love of the father is one thing. The love of the world is lust. Right. And and so if we look at it that way and it's the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, we can really begin to see that these are the things that we desire because we do not have them. These are the things that cause us to sin. These desires that are so often at the root of our sinful behavior. I don't have. I want. I should have. I like. I need. I take. But it's these passions, these lusts that are at the heart of our problem. We see something we want that we do not have. So we need it. We want it. We have to have it. We're actually entering a season in our nation and in the world that feeds on this. It needs you to need stuff. Right? The world right now, the whole system of capitalism is built on you needing something you don't have. But so is socialism, and so is fascism, and so is every other system in the world. It's based on the idea that you don't have something, and you need it, so go get it. All right, so I'm going to show my age here. Some of you are going to look at me like, what are you talking about? So now, nowadays is Amazon wish lists, right? So those get shared everywhere. It used to be the Sears catalog. Okay? Some of you remember the Sears catalog. So uh, so Sears catalog... for. Who knows what the Sears catalog? Who doesn't know what the Sears catalog was? I Maybe mean, that's like, OK. That's like, OK, so <laughs> it was this paper book um, and it was the most glorious day of the year when it would show up for For us kids. It was the most glorious day for parents it was the worst day. Right. Because now you're finding out what your kid wants for Christmas. You're going through and you're circling, and you're circling. And me and my two siblings, we go through and circle and we put our initials by it. And if my brother wanted it, then I don't want it. And, uh, you know, you're going through and you're circling these things and you're, you're saying, I want this and 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 I want this. And it was like the high It was almost better than Christmas morning. Like, because it was, it, you sat down and you mapped it out and you figured it out, right? You figured out what you wanted for Christmas. Now, my parents, before, um, before I was born, so my sister being the first and best, of course, I guess. Um, you know, she had filled out everything and circled everything and figured out what she wanted. And then the night before Christmas, they made a huge mistake of letting her tell somebody what her Christmas list was. And she said, the only thing I want. Now, mind you, she'd already circled half of Sears, right? The only thing I want is a picture of Rudolph at the North Pole. Whoops. (laughs) Good luck with that. Isn't it interesting? You can have everything in the world laid out in front of you. And the one thing you can't have is the thing you want. Isn't that the way we live life? Doesn't all of life hinge? The whole world's system is built towards this. This is what you are taught from a young age. This is what you're taught from birth is we want something. We we don't have it, so we need it. We want it. We have to have it. So driving for uh, McDonald's Happy Meals. No one needs those toys. (laughs) And you need the Happy Meal less. Right. But it's just like, oh, it's like the trolls. I'm sure it's going to be trolls next. Right. I mean, it's going to be the next one. It's going to be trolls again. It's going to be
0: like, I have to have
1: the troll. No, you don't. No, you really don't. You definitely don't need the nuggets. Right. But that's that's the reality of the world. They tell you what you need. All right. So anyway, I could, I could keep going on that for sure. But the the fact is sc- scripture in James puts it really succinctly for us. James chapter four. You desire and do not have. So you murder You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. See, at the heart of our problem is these desires. These desires, they take root in our lives. The lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh are those things that we see and those things that we desire that we must have because they will bring us pleasure. So really, these first two are dealing with the issue of pleasure, idols of the eyes and the flesh, the things that Moses was warning the Israelites about when they entered the land, would they love and obey the Lord when they entered the land and saw that the people who were living in the land were already prosperous? They had fields and they had cities and they had all kinds of good things and they didn't have a God telling them what to do. So were they going to love the prosperity of the land more than they loved the God who was giving it to them? Were they going to look around and say, hey, you know what? I actually kind of like the idea of getting all the prosperity without all the rules. Would they look at the nations around them and wish their lives were like them, free from the laws of God, free to live as they wished? Would they look at the people of the land and desire to assimilate into the culture to become more like them? Like a teenager who wants to get rid of the rules of his parents because his friends don't have to follow those rules. Or maybe like a wife whose mind wanders when she sees a man who seems to be the man she wishes her husband would be. Or a, a husband who sees a woman who he wishes his wife would be more like. Like so many of us who see what our neighbors and coworkers and friends enjoy and wonder, would it bring more pleasure than following God? Would it bring more pleasure than what God has ordained and what God can give me? That's the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. what Moses would call turning to the right or the left, not being driven by a whole life love of God that causes us to walk in his ways, but driven by a divided heart that causes us to stumble into the ways of the world. The, the third thing he talks about here, he's got the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, which has to do with what we don't have. The third is the pride of life. And it deals with the other side of the equation. It deals with the stuff we do have. It's it's what Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us in verses 10 through 12 and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant and when you eat and are full then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery See, the pride of life that's mentioned is found in the things we possess. The lust of the eyes and the lust of flesh is what we don't have and what we want. The pride of life is found in the things we do have, as if we obtained them for ourselves, as if we earned them. Moses tells the Israelites, don't forget that it was not your power, that it was not your might, that it was not your strength, it was not your ability that gave you the land and the prosperity of it. They were delivered to you by God, by his grace. And the same is true for any good gift that you have in your life today, that I have in my life today. James 1.17 tells us, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change give you another way of saying that last phrase with whom there is no variation or shadow of change. The Lord, our God is one. He doesn't change. See, it's the pride of life that causes us to forget. So it's the pride of life that causes us to not be dependent. It's the pride of life that caused Jesus to tell his disciples, Hey, when you pray, pray like this, give us this day, our daily bread. Because I don't know about you, but it's not very often that when I go to the store or do the Walmart pickup, right? It's like some of you swear by that too, right? So you don't have to go in the store anymore. That's the world we live in, right? And I'm buying bread. I'm not thinking, God gave me this bread. That may not be my first thought. It's like I earned this bread. I have a job or I had a job. Is that not the temptation of our hearts to start thinking, looking at the things around us? And it's why we hold so tightly to them. It's because we earned them. And God is telling us that that's pride. It's a pride that creeps into our hearts and drives out dependency on God. In fact, I would say the pride of life drives us away from praying. Because we're not dependent anymore. What would you pray about? I've got everything I need. That's what Moses is telling them. Don't forget the Lord. He's the one who redeemed you. He's the one who brought you out of Egypt. The pride of life drives us away from depending on God. Pride in our possessions and in our successes is the way of the world. You earned it. You deserve it. You did it. You receive honors and glory for your work and for your possessions. And that fills your heart and drives you to want more. Not living for something greater. Just living for the next. Living for what you can gain, but don't you remember? Let's speak to the adults here. Do you remember being a child? You now, for some of you, that was a long time ago. But do you remember being a child and how awesome it was to be protected and to be cared for? Someone who loved you would hold you. Would provide for you. But for those of you who had good parents. Who would actually protect you and care for you. and You could depend on them. Do you remember how great that was? Do you remember being a child who could rest in the arms of a loving parent? Who has more love to give than you could ever ask for. There's more grace to give, more goodness to pour out on you. You see, but when we're driven by our pride of life, we basically say, God couldn't be better than what I have. May I ask you, if it was so great, for those of you who had good parents, right? I know that's not everybody's story, but for those who did who had parents who loved you and cared for you and provided for you that you could depend on and you were dependent on them and it was safe. Can God not do so much more than your parents did? Could he not be so much stronger, provide so much better, love you so much more? So why would you forego that in order to hold on to the pride of what you possess? See, when we're driven by our pride, we drive away from our dependency on God. And that brings us really to the first warning, the first warning of the passage. And it's this warning. Number one, love for the world drives out love for God. The two cannot dwell in the same heart. The two cannot cohabitate. They cannot coexist coexist. Verse 15 says it this way. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Did you see that? The love of the Father is not in him. The command, love the Lord your God with your whole being. Impossible when the love of the world takes root. What a statement. Jesus said it this way. He says you cannot love God and money. You cannot serve two masters. John says that the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh cannot coexist with a love for the Lord. In John chapter 5, Jesus confronts the religious people, um, the religious elites of his day, with these words. And so I want you to pay attention. This isn't him looking at a lost world where we're all like, well, they're the problem. No, this is him looking at the believers or the people who should know better. He says this in John chapter 5. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. How would you like... You, some people say I'm harsh as a pastor, like, and everybody's like, "Well, Jesus was so loving and kind." Did you read that? Like, I would, like, I'm not afraid to say a whole lot, but I don't know how many people I'm standing in front of saying that, right? But he says it. He goes. I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Let Let me do this in the Brad translation. You ready? But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Hey, I'm looking at you and I can actually see your heart. And I know you do not have the love of God within you. Now, here's the next thing. I've come in my father's name. This is how I know. Because I came in my father's name, the one that you're supposed to love with all of your heart, and you did not receive me. And, and here's the thing. Other people will come and they'll be like, look what I did. Look what I came in. Look, look, look what I can do. Look at all the stuff I have. And you go, wow. And you run to them really quickly.
0: And in fact, what you
1: do is you go to one another and you just pat each other on the back all the time about all the good things you do. And in doing so, you get a sort of glory, but it's not real glory. And so you've exchanged the glory of the world for the glory of the Father, the love of the world for the love of the Father. Because you didn't receive Jesus when he came, you don't have room for the glory of God in your life because you keep seeking and giving glory to one another for your possessions, for your positions, for your accomplishments, for your pride of life. So what happens is when the love of the world enters, the love of the Father leaves. Prayer suffers when pride has our hearts. You've experienced this or I've experienced this in my own life. Worship suffers when our desires are divided, right? I mean, relationships suffer when envy and the lust of the eyes and the flesh drive us. How can you truly love someone if you are looking for something better? All that God has called us to in loving him is impossible when the things of the world are our driving force in life. And this would be the major problem for the people of Israel as soon as they get into the land. As soon as they get into the promised land, they are going to look to the right or the left. They're going to be driven by their lust and pride instead of driven by their love for God. And they will fall over and over again. They will turn to other gods. They will set up idols. They will worship Idols in various places throughout the land. They will forego the greater things of God in order to get what was right in the immediate and right in front of them. They wouldn't live by faith; they would live by sight, and they would take. Paul warns the church. So, if you think this is just a Old Testament problem or those people problem, here's the thing: Paul warns the church in Second Timothy of this same reality for Christians in our day. Second Timothy chapter three says, "Understand this." that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self. That would be pride of life. Lovers of money, that's the lust of the eyes, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, lust of the flesh, rather than lovers of God. Did you catch that? All of that. Rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying the power. He puts it really plainly at the end, doesn't he? Avoid those people. There's two ways to take avoid those people. Don't associate with those people and don't be those people. Avoid such people. You may say, okay, but I can recognize that kind of behavior And that kind of mindset in other people, I see it. In fact, I think it's the whole problem with our whole world today. I may have struggles with pride, but I'm not like them. I may have struggles with lust, but I'm not like them. I mean, come on, Brad, I'm here, aren't I? You're correct. And honestly, I cannot nor would I want to judge your motives or judge your heart or judge your might or judge your soul or judge your mind, or judge any of those things. But I will ask you, do you think this is important enough to maybe take stock and ask a couple of hard questions? Do you think if it's central to the entire identity of being the people of God, it might, might be a good idea for us to stop for a second and ask some hard questions of ourselves? So what's the question? What's the driving force of your life? Is it love for God, or are you divided in your heart, divided in your loyalties? Jesus quoted to the Pharisees what Isaiah wrote to the Israelites. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Is that you? Is it possible to fool others and even fool ourselves into thinking that because we go to church every week or because we read our Bible every once in a while, or we even have a regular pattern of behavior, that that's the same as our whole lives loving God. Is it possible we're fooling ourselves? Did you catch what Paul told Timothy about these people who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God? In verse 5, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. It's possible to have the appearance of godliness without a heart full of love for God, which is why every time a pastor falls from grace or a Christian that we admire falls from grace, we freak out, right? Because the fact of the matter is it's possible. And these people are a danger, not just to themselves, but to the people of God, because a. A heart that loves the things of the world cannot be full of a heart full of love for God, which means honestly, you can't love one another. A heart that loves the things of the world doesn't have room for the love of God. But there's a second warning. The first warning is the love of the world drives out the love of God, that Second warning is this, that not only is that true, but verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, and whoever does the will of God abides forever. The warning number two is this, the world and its desires and its followers are passing away. So let me, let me ask you this, maybe a, a good way of putting it. So we got some investors in the room, so I'll ask you this question. Okay, If you knew for a fact, not for, you had some insider information. Nobody does that. Um, yeah, not that somebody told you. A little birdie told me, or I think, or based on my experience. But you knew for a fact that a business was going to fail and go bankrupt. How much investment would you make? Thousand dollars? Million dollars? Ten dollars? Everybody, you going know, to hold up the number? Okay. Good. Why is investing? <laughs> or or why is not investing? Okay. All right, let me ask you another cuz some of you're like my portfolio looks like like that. That hit way too close to home. Okay. All right.
0: <laughs>
1: let me let me go this way. If you knew that an apartment building was going to burn to the ground, would you move in? What about this? If you knew that you had to live in a time and place where everything that you gain and everything that you seek to gain would one day rot, rust, be destroyed or be stolen. And those are the only options. How much investment of your time and energy and pursuit would you invest in that? I mean, it's all going to rot, rust, be destroyed, or be stolen. Every last bit of it. How much would you invest? How much of your heart and your time and energy and worry and desire would go towards that? How much treasure would you lay up in that time and place? See what it did there? Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 6 Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts are defined by our treasures, by what we love. And what we love is defined by what we believe will bring us true happiness, true joy, true life. So where's your heart invested today? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might? Or, or are you just making room for God? Because your heart's already taken. At the heart of loving God is trusting Jesus. This is what Jesus said in John 5. Didn't he, I know that you do not have the love of God within you, because when I came in my Father's name, you did not receive me. Verse 44, how can you believe? When your whole life is filled with getting pride and glory from other people? How can you believe in me when you're receiving everything you need from the pats on the back from everybody else? So you can't love God because you didn't receive Jesus. And this is the plight of anyone here today who is not a believer in Christ, who has not repented of their sins and trusted Jesus you're going to seek glory. This was me before Christ. You seek glory in other places and live by your lust and your pride, and that doesn't leave room to believe in and trust Jesus for the true life that He promises. The the things that can only come from Him. That you trust Jesus not just for what you want and for what you need, but you can trust Jesus now to give you a new heart that's transformed and changed in a heart that that can love Him completely, trusting that because Jesus came and lived a life that was completely obedient to God and completely loved his father and showed that that love for his father by laying down his life in love for those who would believe, for his friends. When he took his own life to the cross, taking our sins and our lusts and our pride and our rebellion and our rejection of God onto the cross in our place, And he rose again, making payment for our sin and justifying us and bringing us real life. Because the things of this world are passing away. But the things of God, when we love God, we now get to abide in him forever. Because we have a savior who's risen. So today, if you're here and you say, I've never, never loved God. I don't love God with my whole heart. The cry of my heart for you today is this call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Ask him for a new heart that can love him to get to, to be given a new heart by trusting Jesus and his work for us on the cross, by trusting Jesus and all that he's done for you, that you could have a new heart that has room, that's made into a place for the love of God to dwell A new heart that's obedient to God in love, full of real love for God, not lust or envy, not pride, full of real glory and real goodness because he lives there. But what if you claim to be a believer, but you find that your heart is divided today? Because I have a feeling a lot of us find ourselves there. Well, there are only two real possibilities, I think, that are given to us. And the first possibility is this. Are you willing to ask yourself the question, are you actually a believer? So I think it's an important first question. There's a possibility that you fall into the, the whole category of fooling yourselves and others. And if that's the case, here's what I want you to hear. If you've been putting on a show for yourself and others and calling yourself a Christian while loving the world and not loving God, I want you to know this and I want you to hear this very plainly from me. If today is the day where the blinders have come off and it's time to stop fooling yourself and fooling others and you don't want to try to fool God anymore, and you've been in church your whole life, even if you've been in this church your whole life, and today those blinders fall off, There's not a single person in this church who will be asked to stay in this church who would give you a hard time over that. Instead, we will rejoice with you. That's what you need to know. If it's been your whole life and you say today, I need God to be my whole heart, my whole soul, my whole strength. We're going to rejoice with you. Because I want you to know that it's tiring, isn't it? It's really tiring putting on a show, isn't it? Giving the appearance of godliness, but your heart is far from God. Today would be the day to trust Jesus, that he's enough for you. To let the love of God drive out the love of the world. See, yes, The love of the world doesn't leave room for the love of God, but the love of God is greater and can drive out the love of the world. Today is the day for you to claim that, to give your heart to Jesus, to ask him to do what he promises for those who call on him. Deuteronomy 30 put it this way, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. God can do that. He desires to do it for you today. But if you know you're a believer, if you you have assurance that you're a believer and you just know that love for God is hard right now, that's the second possibility. The second possibility is that your heart has grown callous and cold. That you are in a season that believing Jesus enough is hard. Believing that Jesus is enough for you, that he is a great treasure that he is the one you need. That's hard for you right now. Well, as we get ready to sing here in a few moments, I want to call you to a place of making this song your prayer to the Lord. If you find yourself in a place that love for God has grown cold, that the lusts of life and the passions of the world that are constantly knocking at the door of your life, you've let them in, but you know they don't live there. Is everybody with me on that? Like, you know that they don't belong there, but they just come over and they seem to keep sitting on your couch and eating your snacks. You, like picture that in your mind. That's what happens in the world, right? That's what happens to believers. Sometimes we the the Lord says, I'm knocking at the door. If you open, I'll I'll come in and dine with you. What we do instead is the passions of the world. They knock at the door and we open the door and we let them come and sit on our couch and hang out for a while. Because it's just, it's just more comfortable. And we let them there, but, but, but we know they don't belong there. And every time they're hanging out, Jesus refuses to hang out with us. And we're wondering why it's empty and cold and callous. Well, God told Jeremiah that the people who were his would find God when they seek him with their whole heart. So really, the call is the same to cry out to the Lord. To kick out the lusts and the pride. Kick them off your couch. Kick them out of your life. Tell them they're not welcome anymore. Forsake the appearances and the successes. But today to believe that knowing and loving Christ and being known by and loved by Jesus is the greatest treasure. It's the greatest desire your heart could ever obtain. And then give yourself fully to Him. Heart, soul, and strength. Then we can say with the Apostle Paul and sing as we're about to sing. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Jesus, show yourself to be worth it. Open our hearts and our eyes and our minds. That we would see you worthy of the love that would take a whole life to show. Praying.